Welcome to the Thriving Wellness Podcast, where we encourage and empower everyone to live their lives up to their true potential and share valuable conversations that are translated into action steps for the lifestyle that makes you thrive. Here are your hosts, Ryan and AJ. Hey folks, welcome back to the Thriving Wellness Podcast. This is your host, Ryan Kennedy. And I must say there are so many prevailing myths and lies floating around in the health and nutrition space today. And it really makes me cringe when I see people who are genuinely trying to improve their health, but being misled with these nonsense recommendations that have been so widespread and confusing to the public. So today's show is going to go through some of these myths and explain the truth behind them and what each and every one of you needs to know to really improve your health. I'm joined today by David Getoff, a real pioneer in the health space who is a personal mentor to me and someone who I have learned a great deal from. David is a nationally board certified clinical nutritionist and traditional naturopath. He's been in private practice in San Diego County for over 25 years. David is the vice president of the 67 year old Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation in Lemon Grove, California. David is also an elected member of the American College of Nutrition and the American Society for Nutrition and has produced over a dozen one to three hour educational videos on topics including cancer, diabetes, detoxification, anti-aging, healthy eating, and emotional problems in children. He really has a wide array and vast knowledge, and he is on the teaching faculty of the American College of Integrative Medicine and Dentistry and is a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. David is not a doctor and does not like being put in the same category as professionals who are unable to help his patients get well. He is also the author of Abundant Health in a Toxic World, a phenomenal book I recommend everyone read. I absolutely love this and it has it's just chock full of fantastic information. And David also has also developed uh, teaching courses entitled Attaining Optimal Health for the past 20 years. And this course is now available online from the Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation. So David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And as a matter of fact, just now, just like in the last two weeks, uh, the newest recording of my course is now available on my website uh, through a big green banner that comes up. Price Pottinger has an older version. I re-recorded it and uh, decided to put it up on my own site. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I'd like to jump right into some of these myths and, sure. and misconceptions with the public when it comes to nutrition. And so let's start with this notion that saturated fats are bad for you. You know, can you explain how this came to be and the truth behind why we all need saturated fats for good health? Well, the, the, the myth came to be from a number of different studies that were done uh, incorrectly or mischievously. Uh, one was uh, Ansel Keys, who did this multi-country study, and he had all these countries he could choose from to be able to determine uh, what their heart disease rate was and what their fat intake was, because we don't have that for every country. But certain countries, that's something that has gotten recorded. And so they had all these countries that we had that information on. And he took a look at them and he wanted to prove that people should not eat saturated fat. So any of the countries, even if the information was solid, that showed that with a higher uh, intake of saturated fats, uh, they had much less heart disease. He didn't include those in the research because they weren't going to show what he wanted. And that included a number of countries, including Mexico. Uh, you know, much, much higher saturated fat intake, much lower heart disease. Let's not include that because that's not going to go where we want. So he screwed the whole study up, basically. And his multi-country study that came out was 
not bogus. I mean, a lot of the information that he said was correct, but because of what he didn't include, the outcome was wrong. Then there were some studies that were done by some other professionals where they did things that if somebody really understood diet and the different diets of different animals, they would have said, uh, why are you doing that? That makes no sense at all. So, for example, if you were to take a group of people and feed them sawdust for a while mm. and they, their health diminished because you were feeding them sawdust and you said, well, geez, it, it, it didn't diminish in the termites. Uh, well, yeah, but termites eat wood. They eat sawdust. So you want to always make sure that you don't put in a food source that that species would never eat because the results will not let you know anything about that uh, species health. So one of the studies that was done that got big news, uh, they force-fed, because they wouldn't otherwise eat it, they force-fed damaged cholesterol to rabbits. Now, rabbits are herbivores. <laughs> so unlike humans, they eat nothing of animal origin. They don't attack and eat you know, grubs or other animals or anything. They only eat vegetation. Mm -hmm. So you're giving them something, cholesterol, which, by the way, in that case, wasn't even healthy cholesterol, but you're giving them something that they would never, ever, ever eat. And, gee, it gave them heart disease. Wow, cholesterol must cause heart disease. No, feeding an animal something it's never going to eat in the wild and shouldn't ever be eating could do all sorts of things, and heart disease is one of them. So between those types of research, we got this idea that saturated fat was bad. And then they did a couple of things which were pretty interesting. One organization uh, used some special video technology to take a look, for example, at the capillaries in the eye, the small, smallest capillaries in the body. And they found that if they gave the people a bunch of saturated fat to eat, that the blood flow through these capillaries almost stopped because they're so small that the, the blood cell would have to squeeze sideways to fit through. And so if anything thickened it at all, it wouldn't go through at all. And so they fed these people. I forget whether that particular study was done with a Big Mac or with an Egg McMuffin. I mean, they used something major. And they found that within very, very little time, there was no longer any blood flow there. Well, okay. The problem was they said it was because of the saturated fat in the eggs or in the beef. Uh, no, it was because of the bun. The bun, which is pure starch or mm -hmm. almost pure starch, the body converts into sugar. You end up with triglycerides, a higher amount of fat of a bad fat in the blood. Plus, they didn't give these people any vitamins, so there weren't antioxidants to protect the fats, and all of a sudden the blood flow gets shut down. The best study ever done, which was published in either JAMA or Lancet, uh, I, I have that the citation up when I'm lecturing. Um, they did a similar type of study where they're looking at the amount of flow. And they took the group and they said, okay, first we want to see whether giving people two important antioxidants, vitamin E and vitamin C, thins their blood. So they checked the viscosity of the blood, like viscosity of oil, how thick it is. And then they gave them an amount of vitamin E and an amount of vitamin C for a few days, and they rechecked the blood. And lo and behold, it was the same. So in other words, when somebody says, vitamin E thins your blood, don't take vitamin E. No, no, it doesn't thin your blood, protects your blood, very different. Mm -hmm. So they found that doing that did not thin the blood. Then they took people, they waited a number of days so that the body would purge those vitamins out. And they gave them a, again, high-fat meal, which I disagree, it was a high-fat, high-starch meal because there were still buns on it. 
But either way, it had both starch and, and, uh, and meat. Um, and they checked to see what happened to the viscosity of the blood. And it got way thicker, and the blood flow through the uh, veins or arteries they were checking got way less. I think the restriction was like 85%. And they went, okay, so we know that having the fat does that. And again, I say I don't think it was the fat. I think if they gave the egg or the beef by itself without the bun, they would have gotten totally different results. But either way, that meal massively decreased blood flow. They had a little bit of a washout period. Check it again. Okay, these particular participants, it's back to normal flow. Now, let's put them on the vitamin C and the vitamin E for a few days to get their levels up of those two protective nutrients, protective of fats. They protect fats so they don't oxidize and get thicker than they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And then while they have these in their blood, now we give them that same meal. Oh my God, there was no decrease in their blood flow. So that was one of the most important studies that's ever been done in food. And it almost never got talked about, even though it was in a major journal. Because what it said is, if people are getting adequate amounts of a good quality vitamin A, excuse me, good quality vitamin E, and adequate amounts of vitamin C, that when they eat something, which is going to increase the level of fats in their blood, no matter what caused it, though fats are being protected by the antioxidants, so that they don't oxidize, become damaged, and thicken up, and they flow just fine. So in other words, a fair amount of our problems aren't just from the food we're eating, but from our lack of different protective nutrients to have that food not hurt us. Pretty long answer to a short yeah. question. No, but that makes total sense. And that's something I learned from you is the importance of these antioxidants when you're consuming lots of healthy fats. So on that topic, can you discuss which fats are healthy and should be used and which ones should be avoided? Because it's not quite so simple as telling people, go out and eat lots of dietary <laughs> fat because our food system has destroyed and manipulated a lot of the oils that are being sold to, to where they're actually extremely harmful to the body. Very, very true. Well, one way to look at it, uh, which sometimes some of the better scientists do look at, is uh, is there a time where we had recorded history? Because if there's no record, if it's hieroglyphics on a wall, we don't, we don't know what was really going on. Mm -hmm. Is there a time in recorded history where we can look back and say there was almost no heart disease, there was almost no cancer, there was almost no diabetes, and we knew what people were eating? And there is. You know, it's not that long ago, before uh, industrialization gave us the ability to take things like seeds and nuts and everything and press them under thousands of pounds of pressure and get an oil out of them. So what were the more original fats from a long time ago? So number one would have been every fat that was on or in or around every animal uh, that was out there while eating what it was supposed to be eating. So whatever birds, whatever fish, whatever land animals, if they were eating what they were supposed to be eating and not in a corral being fed by humans, trying to get them fat as fast as possible because it makes it cheaper if we have to deal with them for less time. Mm -hmm. So they're eating what they're supposed to be eating. People ate all that fat. Now, what might surprise some of, of, of your listeners is that they know from analyzing bones and DNA and all sorts of other things they can do that... These people, and for looking at some of the tribal populations that are still eating in a similar way, or much less of them now, uh, that they treasured fat. They actually wanted the cuts of meat that were a fattier cut. So, for example, we have names for them. They probably didn't have a name for them. So, for example, if I say filet mignon mm -hmm. and I say chuck steak, most people are going to know, well, filet mignon is the really expensive, delicious, tender part, yep. and chuck steak has got much more fat in it, and it's the cheaper part. 
uh, they would eat the chuck steak and feed the filet mignon to their dogs because the filet mignon doesn't have enough fat in it to sustain their energy. And as long as the animal's eating what's supposed to be eating, those fats are very, very good for us. Mm -hmm. So they would eat lots of the fats that are in there. So any fat that's on an animal, bird, fish, whatever, that was eating its, I call it species-specific diet, I made up a term, uh, those fats are good for you and never caused any problems because we didn't have those problems. And then people will say, so I have to interject this, well, yeah, but we used to have an average life of 40 years old back then, and now we live to be 70 and 80. That is using the term average to mislead the public. Because if you have three people, one lives to be 50 years old and dies of whatever reason, maybe he gets in a car accident. One dies two days after it's born, and the second lives to be 100. The average of those three people is 50, because 100 and zero average to 50. The other person was 50. Mm -hmm. So you take three times the total and divide it, and the average is 50. But one person died after two or three days of being alive. One person lived to be 100. So saying we studied these three people and their average life was 50 totally misleads everybody listening to you. Mm -hmm. That's the way they're using the word average, because so many people died in the first couple of years of their life because we didn't know to wash your hands before you, you know, uh, birthed somebody. Uh, so lots of infections. We didn't know that you could put direct pressure on a wound and stop the bleeding. We didn't have paramedics. We didn't have EMTs. So lots and lots and lots of people didn't make it to their 20th birthday, but not because of their health or the food they were eating, but because of an infection that we couldn't control or because of an accident and they bled to death, whatever. So that had nothing to do with, with, with their foods. Mm -hmm. So if we take a look back at, let's say, 1890, when the average age was 40, and we throw out the people that died before their 20th birthday from all sorts of things that had nothing to do with health. You know, an accident has nothing to do with health. Sure. You know, uh, getting an infection because you're doing something, you cut yourself, you get infected, we don't know what you can do about it, is not really about your general health. So you throw those out. What were the average ages that those people now live to that already made it to 20? 70s, just like today. So we're, we're misleading when we say, well, yeah, but they didn't live as long back then. So forget about that part. So again, what fats did we eat during this time that we had almost no heart disease? Can't, and, I, and I speak to 70 and 80-year-old doctors. Some of them retired. They go, yeah, when I went into business, you didn't see heart disease. And it wasn't because we didn't know how to find it. Yeah. Because then those people would still all be dying of heart attacks, and they weren't. Mm -hmm. We knew how to find it. So... Those fats included, like I said, the fats in or on all of the animals that were eating what they were supposed to be eating. They included one of the older fats that we've known about for a long, long time. I don't know how it was discovered, uh, called extra virgin olive oil. Uh, but I have to put a little plug in that um, most of the extra virgin olive oil in the United States is not extra virgin olive oil, 70%, and nobody's looking into it. You want to look at that? Go read the book, Extra Virginity. You'll love it to death. You'll learn so much. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a fabulous resource. Yeah. So extra virgin olive oil, if you can get a really, really good one. Uh, go to, uh, let's see, Bariani is a really good one. If you go to the olivepress.com, they research all their, their olive oils are really good. So just to give you some names. Uh, so we got extra virgin olive oil. Uh, lard, which is from pigs. Mm -hmm. And lard is only a problem if they're the wrong pigs. They're not the old varieties of pigs. They're the new hybridized ones we have that have no hair. They're totally slick. They're being fed slop all day because they'll eat it, so it makes it cheaper. So they're being fed wrong, they're being co cooped up, and they're not the original varieties of pigs. So mm -hmm. as long as they are, I call it heirloom lard. That's totally fine for you. 
Um, coconut oil, very, very healthy. Been used in the tropics for forever, mm -hmm. uh, before we ever had any of these problems. Uh, palm fruit oil, bright orange palm fruit oil, very, very good for you. Butter, if the cows were out there grazing on grass, so grass-fed cows equals healthy butter. Ghee, G-H-E-E, -E, which is what they use in India a lot, made from, again, grass-fed butter. Those are the ones that are really, really, really good. And people will say, but just look at the saturated fat. I mean, the saturated, I love this argument. It makes me laugh every time. Just look at it. I mean, take a look at a stick of butter. Uh, take a look at a, a hunk of lard. Of course, it's, it's sitting there thick. Of course, it's going to clog your arteries up. And I go, okay, so because it looks right now sitting in the room like it's going to clog your arteries up, you think that after you chew it up, digest it, and it gets all the way down with all the things the body has to do, it's still going to look like that? You better stop eating broccoli. Yeah. That's oh, my God. <laughs> broccoli is way harder and thicker than, than the fat. You better stop eating asparagus. You better stop eating all the things they're telling you to eat because they're even harder than... No, it doesn't matter because of the digestive process. Yeah. So those, those are the, the few that are really the healthy ones. And there are a couple of others if you get them from the right companies. You know, the companies that check the temperature of every fat that's being pressed out. So we've got Omega Nutrition does that. Uh, Rapunzel Organics does that. And Flora Health does that. All of their oils are pressed at 120 degrees Fahrenheit or below. And so as long as it's not a bad oil, so like if they're selling canola oil, that's still a genetically modified fat and nobody should eat it. Mm -hmm. But if it's going to make the money to sell it, they might low temperature process it. You still shouldn't eat it, but they are selling it. So I'm not saying everything they sell is fine. Uh, cottonseed oil is another horrible one because unless any of your listeners happen to be a boll weevil, uh, which eat cotton, mm -hmm. unless that's what they are instead of humans, uh, cotton is not a food crop. Well, if it's not a food crop, then all of the pesticides that are allowed to be sprayed on ornamentals but can't be sprayed on foods, they can be sprayed on the cotton. And now they lock into the oil. They don't get processed out. So it can be a really toxic oil. So there are a lot of bad ones. It would take us way longer to go over the bad ones. I happen to like walnut oil, but it has to come from either one of those three companies or La Tourangelle, which is a French company. Um, because if it's processed correctly, it's a delicious oil. And by the way, if somebody says, delicious oil, I've never had a delicious oil. I've, I've tried, I've, I mean, I've used cottonseed oil and corn oil and canola oil and soybean oil, four oils I wouldn't touch. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't really have a flavor. Uh, they just have a texture. That's because the flavor has been burned out of them in the processing to get rid of all the parts that let you know it's gone rancid. If you don't do that, then the well-made oils, like La Tourangelle's uh, it, uh, toasted or roasted walnut oil, people will taste that and go, oh my God, did they add a walnut flavor? No, that's from the walnuts. They just didn't burn it out. And the same goes with olive oil. You same know, most people oil. are conditioned to think olive oil tastes like this bland nothingness. <laughs> when you have real olive oil, like you mentioned, Bariani's a, a brand I love, it's peppery. It's, it tastes, it has a lot of distinct flavor notes. Oh yeah. It has a bite on your throat as it, it goes down. Exactly. And some people that don't know any better will say, um, I don't know, maybe this company makes rancid oil. I better not get it again. No, they leave everything the way it's supposed to be. That stuff that's biting your throat and tasting peppery, that's the part that the research has shown means that the oil is beneficial for you and is helpful for heart disease. Yep. And so a couple quick things I always like to highlight because I find it really important is distinguishing between 
which healthy fats are good to cook with because they are heat stable. And those are the saturated fats that are solid at room temperature. So things like beef tallow and lard and grass-fed butter and ghee and coconut oil. And then other oils that may be healthy, like extra virgin olive oil, right. shouldn't be used to make a stir fryer at high heat temperatures right. because it will become damaged. Now, one that is very controversial when it comes to this cook with it or not cook with it topic is avocado oil because it has a very high smoke point, but it's also an unsaturated fat. So what are your thoughts on cooking with avocado oil? Um, what people that are promoting avocado oil for cooking and saying it's good for high temperature, they have it has a high, they say it has a high smoke point. Mm -hmm. And that's the point at which if you've got something getting up that temperature, you start to see smoke coming out of it. The problem is that I've never seen any research to validate that you can't hurt an oil that isn't yet smoking. And so I am convinced that it's very possible that a lot of the molecular structure of that oil is damaged, but it's not smoking yet. That's just mm -hmm. another trait. And so I want the ones that have been used for a long, long time and avocado oil is a newer oil. It hasn't been. So I'm going to stick to, if I'm going to use avocado oil, it's got to be an avocado oil that's never had sex. It has to be extra virgin avocado <laughs> oil. Uh, and I want to use that for maybe salad dressing because of its avocado flavor, uh, or uh, maybe I'm going to add it uh, into some mayonnaise I'm making, but I won't use it for cooking. For cooking, for high temperature, like you said, we want the saturates, and that would be lard, uh, beef tallow, uh, ghee is a great high temperature oil. I like that one a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, palm fruit oil. Uh, butter, any of you that have used butter in a pan know that it starts turning brown. That's because you're damaging it. The ghee wouldn't be doing that because mm -hmm. we've removed the part that is less stable. So if you're going to cook something at a really low temperature, which means you have to cook a little longer, then you're actually okay. That's the lowest temperature your flame will go to. You're okay with maybe a really good quality olive oil like bariani and butter. But if you're going to be frying something or it's not the lowest possible because you're in a hurry, then you really want the ones that are much more saturated. Yeah, and I love grass-fed ghee to cook with. That's one of my favorites. Now, right. kind of shifting into uh, the topic of cholesterol, something that has greatly confused <laughs> the public. And now, you know, a lot of medical doctors are telling people that cholesterol above 200 is horrible and you have to artificially lower it. And they're handing out statin drugs like candy. And so can you talk on this and first start by explaining what cholesterol is, something a lot of people don't understand, and then what the downsides of statin drugs are and I clear up some of this confusion. Sure. And of course, we have lots of parts of cholesterol. We have HDL, LDL. Mm -hmm. uh, and for those of you that have never heard somebody say what those letters stand for. So HDL is high-density lipoprotein. Lipoprotein. Okay? That's not just a pure fat. That's a type of protein also. It's a lipid-based or a fat-based protein. So that's not what people are being told. Um, cholesterol is a very important substance for our entire neurological system. And by the way, for those that don't think of your nervous system as including your brain, it includes your brain. We have more cholesterol in the brain, apparently from what they tell us, than any other single area of the body. So we need cholesterol. The body doesn't make things it doesn't need. People have to get that into their head. The body doesn't make things it doesn't need. So when the doctor tells you, um, we're going to remove your gallbladder, you don't need it anyway. That's nonsense. Your gallbladder is massively necessary to produce the bile to digest the fats 
that your nerves and your brain needs. Because if you get your gallbladder taken out, now you have to take bile salts because it's not making any anymore. So cholesterol is a repair substance. It's not just something the body uses because it needs it for protection of the myelin sheath, uh, for protection of your brain, for helpful of holding all of your memories intact. It's also a repair substance. So the body will manufacture more in the same way that if you have more crime in an area, if they have the money, the city will hire more policemen or more firemen. You need more. We try to get more. So if you damage the body in ways that start to hurt your walls of your cardiovascular system, so you're exposed to chlorine and chloramines and fluoride, and uh, now the, the newest way that we're damaging our cardiovascular system is with electric fields, you know, Wi-Fi and cordless phones and cell phones. Mm-hmm. So we're damaging this area, and the body goes, um, what can we do to repair some of these little damages that are occurring? The body manufactures some more cholesterol and covers those areas up. And so somebody would say, well, but they did an autopsy on my, on my father when he died of a heart attack. And they said, oh, yeah, there was lots of cholesterol inside his, inside his arteries. It was because he ate too much fats. No, it was because he ate the wrong fats. He ate too much starch, sugar, and alcohol that the body turned into the wrong fats or too much of them. Uh, or because the body was manufacturing a whole bunch of this to repair these areas in his cardiovascular system because, you know, he was drinking tap water with chlorine and chloramines in it. And, uh, you know, he was showering in, in all those different waters and he was exposed to all these different things. Mm-hmm. So it was a repair substance. We don't want to tell the body, hello, Tomka. Mm-hmm. We don't want to tell the body that the policemen and firemen that you're making, uh, we're not going to allow them. We don't want them here. Yeah, we do want them here. So the worst thing that we can ever do is tell the body that all these feedback mechanisms that we have, which it's using to determine how much cholesterol to make, that they're all wrong, that medicine knows better, and we're going to take, let's say, a statin drug to poison the liver's ability to make these substances. We don't want to do that. Cholesterol is an important substance. It is a necessary substance for the neurological system, necessary substance for the brain, a repair substance. None of those do we want to go down. But what happens if a city starts to get larger and they have more crime? Well, they hire more policemen, hopefully, if they have the money. If they have more crime, they probably have more arsonists, and maybe they've got a need for more fire department. Okay, so we let them have more fire department. Well, how does that associate with us? The longer we live, the more poisons accumulate in our body. And that's, you know, the least of which are chlorine, chloramines, and fluoride. If you go to the Environmental Working Group's website, ewg.org, and their search engine, or just into Google, put in body burden, the pollution in people. That should bring you the PDF of the study they did showing you the many dozens of toxic chemicals that they found in every person that they studied. So we are loaded with these chemicals. But do you think we have less as we are around them longer? No, we have more. Mm -hmm. So the body needs more protection. It has to make more firemen policemen. That's called cholesterol. So it is correct, normal, and beneficial for our cholesterol to increase as we get older. And if it's not increasing, unless the reason is because somebody's become a a healthy fanatic and everything's organic, they no longer have wireless in their house, Uh, you know, all the foods they're eating, like their beef and lamb, are grass-fed, okay, then maybe they will be exposed to a lot less and their body won't need as much cholesterol, it won't go up as high. But I want it to be where your body wants it to be. And I don't test my cholesterol because I really don't care where it is. It doesn't matter. It's where it's supposed to be. But every once in a while, I run a blood panel on myself 
And because it's so important to the doctors, most of the panels include a lipids panel. And so there it is. So last time I looked at it was 253, which is totally fine. I wouldn't do anything to change it. And that's so important for people to understand that your body really knows what it's doing. And by trying to outsmart it, by giving it this pharmaceutical <laughs> agent is a terrible, terrible idea, especially when it is this protective substance. So if someone does have extremely high cholesterol, like a familial hypercholesterolemia, okay. would you think that's going to be an issue? Or is that also just the body knowing what's best? I have not found familial hypercholesterolemia to be an issue. So I have uh, a couple of patients that, that have that, you know, that, that's what their DNA is. Uh, one of them, uh, I think her uh, dad is like uh, 95 and his cholesterol is the old 350 or 400. And of course, how can somebody get to 95 when their cholesterol is that high? It should kill them, but no, it doesn't because it's not, it's not bad for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't see that to be a problem as long as they're getting enough vitamin C, vitamin E to protect all the fats, to protect their cholesterol. There's actually a test called LDL oxidized. So they're only looking for how much of your LDL has been damaged. Okay, that number is important to me. I care about that. Because if you've got damaged LDL, that's a bad cholesterol. But LDL is not a bad cholesterol. Total is not a bad cholesterol. None of them are bad unless they're damaged. Otherwise, they're doing their job. Yeah. And it is also important to note that low cholesterol, meaning below 180 or below 200, actually increases your chances of all-cause mortality. And there's been some good research demonstrating this. So I, I wouldn't want low cholesterol because it's not a good thing like a lot of the medical community will, will say it is. Much, much higher rates of cancer as yeah. the cholesterol goes down. Uh, if I remember the research studies correctly, the average cancer rate, which of course we don't want, I want way less than the average cancer rate, mm -hmm. but the average cancer rate are people with a cholesterol of 190 to 200 and above. As soon as it gets below 190, your cancer rate goes up. When it gets below 160 and below, the cancer rate goes up demonstrably. And 140 or below, where the doctor would be super happy, the cancer rate goes really high. So, right, you don't want to do that. And as you say, all-cause mortality, which is the only mortality that's important. If somebody says, this drug is going to lower your rate of getting this particular deadly disease. If you knew that your risk of dying of five other diseases was going to increase... So your likelihood of dying, which hopefully is what we're trying to not do, that your likelihood of dying has majorly escalated, then you might want to think twice about taking that drug. And so all-cause mortality must always be looked at in any research that's examining something that's supposed to prevent something, because we have to look at all-cause mortality to make sure it's not causing other things. Got it, got it. And so what type of... Um I'm curious, kind of tr transitioning back to nutrition. Mm -hmm. yeah. What types of foods do you typically eat to stay healthy and what kind of nutritional recommendations do you give your patients that you work with? Well, a high fat diet of what our current population would call a high fat diet, if the fats are all the right kinds of fats that we've talked about, mm -hmm. is actually a very, very healthy diet. Um, if you had some traditional populations from you know, a thousand years ago, they would look at what somebody today calls a high fat diet and they'd go, that's not a high-fat diet. We need a lot more fat than that. <laughs> but we call it a high-fat diet. Yeah. So I would eat what most people call a high-fat diet. So my, my breakfast, uh, and it varies. You know, it could be some leftover beef or lamb, grass-fed. Uh, could be a smoothie like I had this morning. So this morning smoothie, for example, uh, was a 24 ounces of double-fat uh, raw whole milk. 
David, what's double fat milk? Well, we're in the United States. In the United States, in order for milk to be called whole milk, it's required to have three and a quarter percent butterfat. Uh, the milk that I just drank this morning had about six percent butterfat, so I call it double. F- I mean, it's, it's, it's twice as much as what they would call whole milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get raw milk because in California it's legal, and that means they haven't cooked it, otherwise known as pasteurization, which kills all the enzymes. So it's much, much healthier that way. And the cows are being raised on grassy pastures. So all the fats in there are correct. So I have 24 ounces of that. Um, I put in either three pasture-raised organic eggs or a scoop of a really high-quality grass-fed whey protein. Uh, the one I use is called... Uh, Best way by Nutritional Frontiers is the best I've ever been able to find. Um, I want a little bit of extra flavoring, so I'll either put in some organic cocoa powder, which will make it bitter, so I have to put some stevia or lohan or yukon in it to make it so it doesn't taste bitter to me. I like it. It tastes good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll usually pick one of the fruit that's really, really high in antioxidants and low in sugar. And so that's either going to be wild organic blueberries or blackberries, or raspberries, or elderberries, or loganberries, or one of those others. And that's my, uh, that's my breakfast. Very high fat, adequate amounts of all the proteins, uh, very little, uh, no, no starch, very little sugar, the amount that was in the milk. Um, and uh, yesterday, my breakfast was the other one that I have often. And that is, and I don't really count how many I'm putting in there, I just fill the pan up. So four, five, six, seven, whatever strips of bacon. But the bacon has to come from outdoor raised pigs of what we call heritage or heirloom varieties. Those are the ones that they haven't bred them to get gigantic and be hairless. These are hair color, hair covered pigs. The hair might be white, it might be brown, it might be tan, it might be black, depends on the variety, but they're heirloom pigs, they're outdoors, uh, and they're being fed what they should be fed as much as, as much as we can, but they're also getting to eat a lot of what's outdoors. Uh, so a bunch of those. Now everybody else as the uh, bacon's cooking, as soon as it's whatever their doneness they want it to be, some people want it crispy, some people don't. I don't like it crispy, so I don't, I don't cook it that much. And it's already been simmering in its own fat long enough to kill any parasites that are in there. So there aren't going to be any because they're raising them correctly, mm-hmm. but it's still been in hot fat long enough. So most people will take that out and they'll put it on paper towels to drain out the fat. I don't do that. I look at it and I say, okay, it's about the, the, the texture I want it to be. Now I crack in uh, three of my pasture-raised organic eggs, and I let them get so the white just hardens up and the yolk is still runny, mm-hmm. so that I'm not hurting all the nutrients in the yolk. And then I take all of that, and I pour it out with the fat onto my plate. I then take a bunch of grated, uh, and I get raw from grass-fed cows, cheese. Could be cheddar, could be Parmesan, whatever. And I sprinkle it over it. Not in the pan. I don't want to cook it. In my plate, still hot enough for it to melt a little bit. So talk about a high-fat you know, meal, mm-hmm. very high-fat meal. And as the bacon is uh, cooling off just a little bit, the fat gets absorbed back into it. So when I'm done, there isn't an amount of fat I could pour off that would have otherwise been taken out if you put it on paper towels. I'm eating all that fat. So obviously that's the reason I weigh 300 yeah. pounds. No, uh, because fat doesn't make you fat. Starch and sugar and alcohol make you fat. And because I've got adequate fat in there and adequate protein, and I don't have starch, sugar, and alcohol, I call those sabotage foods. I actually got a registered trademark on the term sabotage foods. Uh, Because those are not in there, when I finish one of those meals, I'm not hungry for between six and seven hours. 
And anytime somebody wants to see, is there is there a simple way to know that maybe the quality of the food wasn't what David Getoff would want, but is there a simple way to know that the types of food are sustaining my body, you know, more correctly than a bad meal would be? Mm-hmm. Yes. How long is it from the time you finish until you begin to get hungry? And if you've got a proper meal and it doesn't have what I call the sabotage foods in it, you shouldn't be the least bit hungry for any more food for a bare minimum five hours, but it's usually going to be more like six or seven. And we shouldn't be snacking in between meals because we shouldn't eat when we're not hungry. And we shouldn't be hungry yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Yeah, a good nourishing meal like that will keep you filled up for a while. And I do want to touch a little bit more on dairy because you mentioned you drink this raw milk, have some raw cheese, and a lot of people who are in the health space, they may be practitioners or clinicians, do suggest avoiding dairy. And so, and obviously what you're eating is vastly different from the conventional ultra processed dairy that you find on the shelf. So can you just talk a little bit more about the distinction between what type of dairy is healthy and some of those benefits? Sure. Well, a lot of people will simply say, number one, that uh, no animal consumes dairy after it has been weaned and it's no longer feeding on Mm -hmm. mommy's breast. So I always start with that one because I like that statement that no other animal does this because I then I'll stop the person. I'll say, wait, before we go any further, are you saying that if there's something that humans do that no other animal on our entire planet does, we better look at that again because maybe we shouldn't do it. And of course, the person will say, yes, that's what I said. Okay, um, uh, my watch just went away. These chairs just went away. This house just went away. Uh, the lighting went away. The electricity went away. My refrigerator is gone. Freezer's gone. This camera is gone. Uh, mm. The tape recorder is gone. Your clothing is gone. Your automobile is gone. The best bus is gone. The airplane is gone. So if you're going to say that if no other animal does something but us, it might be wrong, that's a really silly statement yeah. because what you're saying is that we should take the fact that we have uh, more abilities, uh, more knowledge, more intelligence than other species and we don't want that. No, 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 we do want that. I, I like that. So that particular argument goes away. Mm-hmm. Next argument is that uh, the idea of drinking something after you're weaned, uh, none of the traditional populations ever did that. If you go back even 75 or 100 years, nobody did that. This is something new. That's not true. Um, the Maasai have been drinking blood and uh, raw milk from their animals for thousands of years. Uh, The Hunzas have been using that and culturing it and using dairy products for thousands of years. Just depends on where you are Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. But it turns out that one of the healthiest things that somebody can consume, unless they're allergic, allergic changes everything. I don't care what it is. If somebody says, I love beef, and the other person says, when I eat beef, uh, I get a rash. Okay, well, first try some grass-fed beef that's cooked rare and see if you still get the rash. You might not. But otherwise, avoid beef. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, so if allergies are there, it's different. But the vast majority of people, if I just say, when's the last time you had some raw animal protein? They would look at me like, excuse me? Why would I want to eat raw animal protein? Are you trying to get me sick? <laughs> and my answer then is, okay, so you've never heard of carpaccio, steak tartare, ceviche, you know, I mean, these are all raw animal proteins. 
And most people have never ha had any of them, but in other parts of the world, those are delicacies. At the better restaurants, they always serve them. Yeah. So a lot of people have never had a raw animal protein. Therefore, they've never had an animal protein where its entire complement of amino acids and fatty acids have not been hurt by heat. And although some people will not eat steak tartare, and they will not eat carpaccio, and they'll not eat ceviche because they're raw and they're afraid of them. If they're good quality, they're totally fine. And I, will, I'm, I love them. Uh, but milk, somehow or other, well, yeah, if you can tell me it's clean and there's no bad bacteria in it, okay. And so now all of a sudden we have a raw animal protein that more people are willing to try and they start getting benefits because their body's never had any raw animal protein. I want all those amino acids in there undamaged. I want mm -hmm. all those fatty acids in there undamaged. If the cows are eating grass, then it's got a lot of conjugated linolenic acid, CLA in it, all sorts of things that wouldn't be in there if they're raw. So I absolutely promote the ingestion of grass-fed, raw, organic dairy products. But in a lot of places, you can't get them. Yeah. California is one of the few you can. Um, in some other states, in, in New Jersey, if you know where to go, you can. In some states, they have cow share programs where you have to own part of the cow and then you're getting something that's really yours. There's mm. all sorts of different ridiculous things that go on. But if you can get it and if you know that they're outdoors, they're grass-fed, they're being properly raised, they test them for various different diseases, uh, it's the healthiest stuff there is. And people say, what does raw milk taste like? <laughs> Uh, tastes like milk. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes delicious. I'm a huge fan of raw milk and you turned me on to it years ago and I uh, consume raw grass-fed goat's milk and even some cow's milk on a pretty regular basis. And on the topic of raw animal protein, I find it so interesting how many people will go out and eat garbage farm-raised fish that's raw at a sushi restaurant <laughs> without even blinking an eye. But when I tell them I put raw pastured eggs in my smoothie, they think I'm nuts. And it's, it's really interesting when you start to analyze that, that, you know, the way kind of people have been programmed to think, yeah, eggs and meat are so dangerous when they're raw. And really, one of the best things I eat that really makes me feel like a million bucks is raw grass-fed beef liver. Mm -hmm. It's yep. absolutely fantastic. Yep, absolutely. I had a woman once who uh, I kept on telling her that she really needed to put some raw eggs in her smoothie. And she would put in the grass-fed whey protein. I said, that's great. But that's a powder out of a can. Yeah. I'd rather you crack in three raw eggs. And she said, I just, I can't get over. I mean, the, the, the Department of Agriculture and the FDA and, and, and my, my doctor, raw eggs, what are you trying to give yourself an infection? And then one day she finally decided to do it. And I, you know, get back to my office, listen to my voicemail messages. And here is her voice saying, I just want to let you know that I finally decided to put one raw egg in my smoothie. And I got such horrible diarrhea. I will never do it again. And I'm thinking, I know the egg didn't cause that if she got a pastured organic egg, but I'm never going to be able to convince her that. And then about five messages later, it's her again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just found out that the two couples that we went to dinner with at a Chinese restaurant all had massive diarrhea. It was something that we shared at the Chinese restaurant. It wasn't your egg. I'm sorry. <laughs> what a surprise. Oh, man. Well, David, you are such a wealth of knowledge, and I know we could chat all day. But I want to let the audience know where they could find more about you. So where, what's your website and where could they go to learn more about this information? Sure. Easiest way to get to my website is my name. David, everybody has no problem spelling the word David. Mm -hmm. Get off, which really is my last name. People seem to think because it's a name, 
they must have done something to change it. And so they don't spell it correctly. I mean, everybody knows how to spell get and everybody knows how to spell off. But they put in David and then they misspell get off. They add another T. Uh, they take off one of the Fs. They put an H in the middle. And then they say, your website isn't, isn't up. I can't find it. How do you spell get off? <laughs> David Getoff, G-E-T-O-F-F dot com, will redirect you to the website, which is Naturopath for you. After that, you can save it. And you'll see that it's actually Naturopath for you. But rather not try to remind you how to spell Naturopath. Is it Y-O-U? Is it the letter U? Is the four, the number four? Is it F-O-R? Is it F-O-U? Put in davidgetoff.com. It'll get you there. Okay. And if you want uh, to take any of my courses, there's a big green banner uh, a couple inches below uh, on the homepage. And it says, Nutrition Education Association Educational Videos by David Getoff. If you click on that, it brings you there. And every once in a while, and believe me, I mean once in a while, some of my subscribers go, don't you ever contact us with something? <laughs> every once in a while, I say there's something so important I want to let everybody know. So if you want to be in there, so when I send that out, not daily, not weekly, not even monthly, uh, then go down to the bottom and fill out the subscriber area. And if there's something important, you'll be notified of that as well. And I will say there are a number of fabulous articles and videos on David's website that you can go on there and learn about a whole wide array of topics in regards to health that I highly urge you to check out. And also, David teaches a 10-week course called Attaining Optimal Health. And it is absolutely fabulous. It is local here and taught in person in San Diego, and it starts up September 3rd for the fall semester. You can also get this course online through the Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation. Well, that's the older one. If, you, okay. if, they, if they do it on that green banner through me, right. they got the one that was just taped. Perfect. Yeah. So that go go there. I have taken this course five times, <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I know what you're thinking. Okay, Ryan, what? Why would you take a class five times? What What is this all about? Well, there's so much incredible information in this 10-week course on so many topics and David is a constant learner. So he's always going to the latest scientific symposiums and conferences and updating the course and adding more information and so I'm constantly learning from this guy and I love going up to him after class asking him questions. So it has been the biggest influence on my learning curve when it comes to what I know about health and nutrition and getting people well and so I highly highly recommend Every single one of you that wants to improve your health or help other people in your life, if you're a practitioner or a nutritionist or a health coach, take David's course. And at the very minimum, buy his book, which is a great read, and it's called Abundant Health in a Toxic World. Oh, and, and to make sure to make it so that your listeners don't think, yeah, so you're the only person that's taken his course five yeah. times and you're a nut. Yeah. At the beginning of the uh, semester every time, I say, how many people have taken this course more than once? And a bunch of hands go up. Let's say we have 50 people in front of us. I say, okay, how many people, this is the second time in the course? One or two hands. Third time, two or three hands. Fourth or more, five or six hands. Anybody that's taken it at least 10 times, sometimes it's a couple of hands. So <laughs> you're not the only one. Oh, yeah. And they always say... It's so much information. I want it reinforced. And you're not an automaton. You're not a robot. You bring new things in. I want to hear those too. Exactly. So check it out. I highly recommend it. And thank you for your time today, David. You're very welcome. Always a pleasure chatting with you. <laughs> Thanks for listening in. You can find the show notes and resources at thrivingwellness.co slash podcast. We encourage you to share your biggest takeaways with us on social media and share the show with your friends and family. If you found this episode valuable, leave us a five-star review. Your feedback helps to support us on our mission to positively impact as many people as we can with this information. 
Join us for our next episodes where we will be interviewing leading wellness professionals to inspire you in your health journey. Until next time.